When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we're going down uh, from Cannon's Corner down through Barnacolia, and uh, just on our right at, at this moment is Peter Watches. Underneath the road is Peter Watches Quarry, and uh, you can also see down underneath is Step Aside Village. Within the next 50 yards or so, we'll be able to see the expanse of the Three Rock Mountain up to the left, and uh, we'll be able to see the pock marks of what were. The granite quarries uh, mostly unused now there is one big quarry that's still being used and that's by Jim Murphy and this on our left here just at the corner is uh, Pat Donnelly's quarry the two lads are still they, they do an odd bit of work in it but the vast majority of these quarries have now closed within the last 20 years like I can remember 20 years ago the, the place was alive with uh, quarry men, stone cutters, and what have you, you name them, They're all in the stone business, earning their, their few shillings. The stone cutters in Barnacle at one time, I reckon, were the best men in, in Europe. All real men, like, you know. Uh, it's been remarked that, in fact, uh, the village itself of Barnacle, it's it's very like, uh, very like the parts of the Holy Land where you have these pockets of uh, uh, craft centres, and this, in fact, was the the uh, situation here in Barnacolia. Granite, a coarse-grained igneous rock composed of crystals of quartz, feldspar, and mica, it has been the lifeblood of Barnacolla for the past two hundred years. This unique village is situated halfway up Three Rock Mountain just outside the town gate which once marked the end of the pale in South County Dublin. Granite as a building stone became fashionable in the 18th century and, as the granite quarries were opened along the side of the mountain, families moved into the area from many parts of the country. Families whose names are now synonymous with stone cutting. Canes, McCluskeys, O'Neills, Murphys, Rows, Cannons, Ryans, Walshes, Donnellys, McCabes and Doyles. Many, many doyles. And the lamb doyles. And uh, the douche doyle. And the daddy doyle. And the butler, no, the, uh, the douche doyle, the tough and doyle. And that list is by no means exhaustive. With the expansion of Dublin, the work of the stonecutters prospered, and by the end of the last century, the community around Barnacolla was well established and relatively prosperous. At that time, there were scores of small quarries in operation, and the workers in stone were classified into three broad categories, quarrymen, cutters and masons. Paddy Rowe. Well, uh, the stone starts off by being quarried out. It's um, Perhaps a small blast would be put in to just shake it off its bed. It's, it's not really blasted out, it's just shook off its bed in order to facilitate the quarryman to cut it into blocks. Now the quarryman would get at it and uh, he would uh, cut it down to the blocks required 
if he's a good quarryman or if they were good quarrymen they could in fact uh, as the fellow was saying put a face on it for you by, by uh, quarrying it with uh, the the uh, um, tools. Uh, it then goes up on to the to the banker and depending on the amount of work uh, involved in it uh, the apprentice might get it the first year lad might get it if it were just a face to be worked on it on a few beds or if there was moulding maybe second or third year apprentice would have got this block and uh, he would work it uh, continue it until it was ready for the mason to, to fix it uh, if there was a lot of carving on it, well then you had uh, the improver or the, the uh, craftsman for to, to work this uh, special piece. At the turn of the century, each family had also an allotment of a few acres and carried on mixed farming in addition to the stonework. Mrs Anne Kane, still very active and sprightly at the age of 91, has vivid recollections of Barnacolla at that time. I often went with my daddy take me over by the hand and uh, I'd stand for hours watching the men, you see, and they turn out, out of a big lump of a stone there, the loveliest piece of work you've ever seen, carved, I think it was, beautiful, for the chapels, the churches, the hospitals, the libraries, the houses, all the Georgian houses, and all those places that did all the stonework with them in the, around that city and in the countries, Wicklow and Bray and all around the whole place, Dunleary. And uh, you often spent time watching them when you were I young. I did indeed. And enjoyed it very much. I, I enjoyed it very much. I loved to hear them. And when I grew bigger, I'd love to stand on the road, listen to the everybody's hammer beating at the one time. It was like a jingle you heard as you come along the road. And you see all the smokes up in the chimney, getting ready for the men's dinner along the mountainside. The smokes would be all rising together for the men folk to come home to dinner. They would didn't have their dinner until night, you know. They take the lunch out with them. Would there be many men working in one quarry there? Oh, yes, I often seen 33 men together and that sort of thing. Then the people would all mingle with each other when they get a big job and they'd have to price it. But they had their own little union in this place. They hadn't always a union, but they formed one of their own then, you see and uh, they'd have to take uh, all their orders and plans before the men, talk out their price list and all like this, and before they start to work that job in the quarry. The men would have to be satisfied, you see, that everything would be all right, that they'd get the money. At uh, harvest time, we had what we call the harvest homes, and it started at the head of Belly Edmund Duff, and it went as far as Woodside and Sandy Ford. In each person's home, they had hay drawn, put in for the winter, straws and all the rest, and all the neighbours sent them in to help with their horse and carts and their men. And uh, they was treated to big dinners and their breakfast if they hadn't got it before they come out, and plenty of homegrown food, sides of bacon, corned beef, fresh cabbages, lovely laughing potatoes, and all the rest... And in the afternoon, then, they had their tea. And in the evening, the boys and girls gathered for the dance. And we had a most enjoyable evening, with our father and mother mingling amongst us. And what kind of dances did you? All-time dancing, waltzing, polkas, sets, 
Shatishas, Mazurkas, and Irish dancing. And, uh, and the lancers. Where are the musicians? Were the musicians? We had fiddlers, five players, melodeon players, piano players. We had plenty of music. Everybody was musical almost at that time because they had nowhere else to go, only to a house party and to learn music. And we had bands in the parish at that time, three and four bands. So it was a mixture of farming and stonework uh, yes, around? Yes, all around. Everybody had a bit of ground. They had a couple of cattle, and they were all very snug and comfortable while the work was on the mountain. But the wars come and brought a deep depression. Then. That was the First World War was the beginning well, of it the was problem. The Boer War. The Boer War? Yes, the Boer War that I remember first. And what do you remember about that time, about the Boer War? Well, I remember my father got double pneumonia at that time, and he was ailing, and uh, the work went down. There was no orders coming through because there wouldn't be a, there was no outlet for the work at the time. You see, all the builders' yards and that depression come there too. You see, and uh, it killed my father to fret if not getting his usual orders. You see, as he did at those times before he got ill. It did with everybody. We had depression on the mountainside for years and years after. The good times were indeed gone. Mrs Kane's husband was to spend much of the rest of his life in England and the break-up of the community began. Many of the small quarries closed down, but now a new pattern began to emerge, slumps followed by booms followed by slumps, coinciding with the economic conditions of the 20th century, both in war and in peace. Mick Rowe entered the trade around the period of the First World War. The majority of the people here were the stonecutters. Well, then, the, any sons they had, they were more or less delighted to get from the school to the quarry for the learning the trade. And it was a hard trade to learn because at that time it was, there was two different kinds of, of rules and regulations that you could walk peace walk or you could walk day's walk when you had your time served. And then there was a trade union in was carried on in, in Steppeside, in the village of Steppeside. And that made rules and regulations and prices for peace walking such. And it was very good. Now, uh, an apprenticeship of seven years, is that right? Well, you could put seven in and you could put, as I often said to myself, you could put your lifetime in and still learn. But you, you had your time up at se- in seven years. Seven years and sometimes eight years. You were saying something about it being a, well, some kind of a closed shop. How does that it was about? a closed shop because, I'll tell you why, you have to, you had to get, if you were the son of a stonecutter, you were all right, you went to work. But if you wasn't, you'd have to go through the rules and regulations of the union for to allow you to work at that time. Because work was plentiful at that time, and there was the demand for the stone, and there was plenty of young fellas around that was the loads they get at it, you know, that sort of a way. And then there was lots of men walked here and went away thing, and went away to America and Australia, all over the world they went. They went mostly to England there, and they were one of the biggest quarries in Trevor, North Wales. A lot of them went there at the beginning of the First World War, and some of them never come, never come back, but their sons are still there. 
but not carrying on the stone thread because it's gone down so much. It's much the same as it is here. Gone that they're only about a third of the stone cutters in my day is in Barnacle at the present time and that in the Glencullen working at the stone thread. Because of the very nature of granite, stone cutting was and still is physically very demanding. In Mick Rowe's home, there is a photograph of the Barnacolla tug of war team who defeated Guinness in the Talton Games in 1928. But perhaps that very beverage played a part too in the victory, as many the trip was made across the mountains to Lamb Doyle's, then a less fashionable holstery, where buckets and large earthenware jars were filled with porter for consumption back at the quarries. In the years following the Civil War, many workers were engaged in restoring the buildings which had been damaged, the GPO, the Custom House and the Forecourts. There was also a church building boom at the time and the majority of the churches were built with granite. Many of these churches were built by Murphys of Murphystown. Well, the, uh, I'd say the f- most famous one my father was proudest of was Mullingar Cathedral. And that was a great job and gave great employment. I remember him saying that there was roughly 200 stonecutters working on that job uh, around the mountain at that time, all in different quarries. And you had all the different stonecutters in, in families mainly, and there, there could be five and six here and there in different quarries all over the mountain. Um, we we did Carndonagh um, Church, Harold's Cross. Um, we did Crumlin um, Church and uh, Rossnola. There were, then the Cenotaph in, in, in Leinster Lawn was a particular one that uh, I was uh, waned on, if you like. That was the one job that was started just when I left school, and uh, it was my first job, really, the Cenotaph in Leinster Lawn. Would it be uh, your father who got the contract? Is it, is it true that a lot of this, in a sense, some of the smaller work would go around other people or some of the other work? Or how, how did it work? Yes, it worked uh, to a large degree in that way, that... Um, the builder in the first place would get the job and he would be uh, set out his stonework well in advance and uh, naturally there would be quotations and uh, if my father was lucky enough to get the job he would then uh, hand some out to the smaller men around the place and they could all work together and it seemed to work very very well that uh, that idea that setup but despite such orders, there was still for many the same fluctuating fortunes of the trade, as Tom O'Neill remembers. Uh, you were lucky if you were working. And then if you were working a few months, then when that job you'd be finished, and then you were away for another few months. Now, no. when, the, when the job ended, did you have to leave the, the locality and go somewhere else? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you'd move from one quarry to the other and you might be lucky enough to get going again in a different quarry in the one place like you know. But then if that if it all failed then you took out to England. By the nineteen forties the number of quarries in the area had dropped to five Murphy's, Donnelly's, Rice's, Walsh's and Cannons. But as a result of advancing technology especially with the introduction of the industrial diamond, stone cutting became more and more mechanised. It was now possible for machines to do most of the cutting. Saws now could cut the granite into thin strips of little more than an inch for use as cladding or facing on buildings. The demand for granite dropped as architects began to use the stone less and less. The numbers employed in stone cutting dropped further 
and the stone cut contractors also began to diversify. We've moved into all types of stone, I might say. Uh, in the early days, in, my, in particularly in my father's time, my grandfather's time, they purely concentrated on granite. And uh, we've had to expand our business, move out of the quarries in particular with our stone cutters and set up uh, a machinery yard as such with our stone cutters shed in one end of it and all our machines around the yard. And in that way, we uh, work any type of stone. We can do limestone or Portland stone or granite or marble, whatever the particular job calls for. Jim Murphy still employs three stone cutters in addition to his other staff, Joe McCluskey, Billy Cannon and Peter McCabe. Peter, known to all and sundry as Goxie, was working on altar fittings for St Luke's Church in Coolock when I spoke to him. Taking out a uh, sinking out of the yam of the cross, where I put it in here. This is a... a We're leaving, yeah. Going from three-eighths of an inch and in at the back of it will be one inch deep. Now, this is, this is a, a granite stone. Barnacolia granite stone from the blue quarry name, the blue light quarry. Is there any significance in the blue light? In the name? Well, that was the people the that owned the area. Yeah. It's known more at that, you know, at the blue light. Do you like working with granite? Prefer it, yes, better, more so than limestone or porcelain. Why, why is this? Well, to me, I've been brought up on it, served my time at it, from the time of being 14 years of age. I've never done that. I have done other stone, different kinds of stone, and one thing and another, but the granite to me, I prefer it than any of the other. No. What do you have to look for? Or, you know, what kind of experience do you get with granite? Are there different types of granite or, or, or what? Or, or have you to be careful about it or what? When you're working with it? Well, there is different. No, there's, granite, there's different types. There's a, a bigger uh, spar in that scale, what they, we call it. We call it a scale in that. And you have to find the way with the grain. In other words, the grain. On the face of that, the front of that now is what we call the close way. That's the point, maybe. That would be on the, the side of it would be on the open way. Well, we won't be cutting that, you see. Yes. But it shows a better finish on the close way of the stone. Now, are you a native of this area? You obviously yeah. are. Could you tell me something about how you started and, and what kind of connection your family had with, with, with stone? Or your own family? My me family, yeah. My grandfather owned, had a quarry one time. Uh, worked, yes, worked a place where they call the Black Quarries, further up the mountain, under the Three Rock Mountain. Is that disused now? It's disused now at the moment, yeah, they don't use it at all. Peter McKay was his name, old Peter McKay. And did your father continue with him? In, in uh, no, my father didn't do go near it at all. He followed up uh, more or less horse dealing, cattle dealing. And how is it that you came back to it then? Did you, when you were young? Did well, you I just took a liking to it when I was young and went at it. And who did you serve uh, your apprenticeship with? I served it with uh, my uncle, Michael McCabe. He owned the Blue Light Quarry before Mr. Muffy got it, before Muffy took over. What kind of work had you to do as a youngster when you left school? What kind of job were you given as an apprentice, or what does an apprentice do when he starts off? Oh, well, we started off with what they used to do years ago, but they don't do use it now. 
was the Corbin Stones, Dublin City, and the flagon, you know, the pot flagon. That was our start off, or we started our apprenticeship with. And then anything that come along then after that, in regards to any kind of work that you, your employer, that is a man that employer, that you'd be doing, let it be church work, window sills, or door sills, or copings, or anything like that for a building or a house, or cornerstones going up, you know, the coins, what we call coins, or jams for doors and church work and anything like that. Beside him, Joe McCluskey was working on a block of Portland stone, taking off the excess stone or wasting it before it is sent to a sculptor for carving. He explained the difference in texture between Portland stone and granite. Uh, well, a Portland stone is a softer stone. It's a sandstone, they say. And uh, the granite is a bit harder altogether. It's no different nature. Do you work with uh, generally with uh, granite, or is this an unusual...? Well, I, I started off working with granite. And then I worked uh, limestone. And then I worked this uh, Portland stone for about 14 years. How far do your own uh, family go back in, in, in stone, do you oh, know? Should I go by generations. My father and my father's people before them, the old stone made, the stone cutter, like, not the mason. You see. The stone mason is a person like, that builds, you know, rough granite. But, uh, we cut the granite. Yeah, that's the stone cutting. That's what stone cutting means, like cutting the granite. Sure. You see. And the mason then is the person who shapes it out, is it? Well, no, the mason, he... A mason is just a man that builds walls and so forth, like, you know. Which is the greater craft, the cutter or the mason, do you think? Or the cutter. But, I mean, the cutter has to... I mean, the buildings that you see in town, like the Bank of Ireland and all those other banks and different buildings, uh, the... What is it, the city hall and, you know, the castle. Well, that is all uh, cut stone. And, and that's what, what a stone cutter means. That's what stone cutting means, like cutting the stone to size, mm. to shape. Well, the, they used to do a lot of work for the, which has gone to the flagging for the corporation. The streets, the, the paths, they were all done with granite. But now they're putting in slabs of concrete. And the corbin along the side of the path, that was always granite, six inch corbin. Well, that's all gone. They're putting in concrete now. These men are probably the last of the traditional stone cutters. Because of the fact that working with granite is so demanding, there are no apprentices now learning the trade. However, there are apprentices working with other types of stone. For example, at O'Neill's monumental works in nearby Carrick Mines. Chris O'Neill. Well, mostly they, we employ a neater or a finer type of um, work than the traditional stone cutting we do quite a lot of carving now but the um, sort of beginnings of the apprenticeship are in the stone cutting and if a lad shows promise we um, train him to be carve to be a carver so uh, in fact even though the stone cutter is dying out in around the area, you still have have need for a person who is even more skilled than a stone cutter. Yes, we have because we do quite a lot of um, reproduction of old style fireplaces, and um, we employ quite a few carvers. 
So they would be called carvers, is that right? That, that's their official title? Well, um, no, their official title would be a stone cutter, but it's just something from tradition, you know? What broadly are, are the main types of work that a monumental sculptor does nowadays? Well, we make the traditional headstones, and we also um, do modern fireplaces for all these new expensive houses that are going up around. And we also repair and make reproductions of the old style fireplaces. We um, also, when money is available in some of the new office buildings, we print maybe the staircase or the um, main entrance, which is sometimes in marble. If I could uh, interrupt you for a moment, could you explain what you're doing here? This is, um, is a, a cornice for an altar, for a reconstruction job that we're doing in New Ross, in County Wexford. And uh, you, you're carving out... Uh, uh, a, a floral design on this um, cornice. It's pretty intricate work, is it? It is, very intricate, all right. Now, could you tell me what you're using, the tools you use, and, and how you go about doing that? These are... Um, chisels, they're, they're tungsten tip chisels we use and um, the reason being that it's a very hard um, it's very hard and it, it, it lasts very good like in the stone you know it must be very 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 slow deliberate type of work it is very slow all right uh, I suppose you would be described as the new breed of, of stone cutter would, would that be accurate well I suppose you could say that all right um, it's it's a very um, tricky job, and it's a job that um, takes a lot of years to get for um, you know to get the craft of it. And um, now, where did you serve your apprenticeship? Here was it here? Yes. And uh, what did you do when you came in, and how did you graduate up to this type of intricate work? You have to learn how to cut stone, the different types of stone, and um, knowing the different ways of cutting. There's different. There's a going ways in different stones, you know, like um, it's easier to work stone one way than the other, like, you know, like and you have to grain, sort of a grain, grain yes, yeah, so, something like timber. And, and it takes a while to get to Oh, you have that. to get to know all this, yes. And, and uh, how many years is the apprenticeship for? Is it a few years? Uh, seven years. I've done seven years. And now you're on to, is this the type of work that you do mainly now? Most of the time, yeah, I do this type of work, yeah. Now this is, this is, what, what stone is that? That is a uh, Carrara marble. Pure Carrara marble. Now, is, is it a softer stone than, than say, other ones, or how does it, it reckon? Yes, it's about the best type of stone for carving, this type of marble. What, why is that? It doesn't because um, it's soft in itself, and it's um, you get a nice finish on it. You know, it's the type of stone that, they've, I suppose, Michelangelo used too, like, you know, when doing all this carvings and that. So, now, what other stone do you, you work with? Do you work with, uh, say, Portland stone? Or Portland like that? stone. Irish limestone, different types of Italian marble, you know, Sicilian marble. Now, what about granite, the, the, the old traditional stone around here? Well, we, we do walk it like, but I, I personally don't walk it any of it, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of people say it's very tough, it's hard oh, to Oh, it is, yeah. It's, a very, it's, just, it's more or less a trade in its own, like, you know, the walking granite. But up in Barnacolla, some of the traditional ways remain. Peter Walsh still works the same quarry that his father opened in 1915. 
it is said to contain some of the finest granite in the area. But now it is somewhat of an uphill struggle for the smaller operator to stay in the granite business. The traditional way of building is gone, if you know what I mean. The bricklayer putting one stone on top of another, and maybe it's too costly. But uh, now they clad it, if you know what I mean now. They saw this stone to inch, inch and a half thick and face it just something like uh, the job in Dame Street, you know? Yeah. And um, very, very, practically no apprentices have gone to the trade now in about the last 10 years. So, uh, uh, the whole way of life and so forth is going to change here or is changing? It is changing, yes. Now, what kind of work or, you know, do people need granite for? You know, you supply a lot of granite still. What do they need it for now? Um, mostly what I do is um, I do a bit of monumental work and uh, semi, semi-dressed stuff for um, facing bungalows and things like that. And occasionally I do altar work or uh, church furnishing work, if you like to call it that, when the order comes along. Now, granite is now an expensive stone. Could you tell me why, why is this? Uh, particularly labour costs, I suppose. It's a hard and stone. To it's use. a very hard stone even to machine because it's very... Um, it's tough on any sort of machinery to saw it in. That's in relation to limestone or any other soft stone, you know. Now, could you tell me what are the processes that are used to, to get it out? Or how does it lie in the ground? Because this I can't really understand uh, it. It's hard to explain that. It lies more or less in layers. That would be sufficient to, like, it's what I can tell you. Well, the first thing you have to do is blast. And that's an operation now which has its complications on to the troubled times, you know. Well, when we blast it out, then we have to bring down a drilling machine to cut it up into sizable blocks. Now, uh, when the, what effect is the blasting on it? Does it split it or shift it or what? Uh, it's hard to explain again. We go down when it's impossible to do anything until you blast. We blast. And we want to, what we call, free the stone with the minimum of damage to the stone. Now do you understand me? Oh, that's why we use only ordinary gunpowder. We never, I never use jelly knife. And uh, when the stone is what we call free for to carry out this operation of cutting it into blocks. That's all we want the charge to do. Now I think this is where the quarryman, at least the quarryman used to used to come in, wasn't it, at this stage? That was his job here at the quarry. Oh yes, there were two distinct. distinct uh, there was a quarryman, which was his job was to go down to the quarry, blast it and block it out and bring it up. And the uh, stone cutter then is the man who dressed the stone. And the mason then will be the man at the building site who, who puts it up? Yes, uh, we only uh, our, the bulk of all our orders was supply only. The builder, whoever he was, supplied his own man for fixing, you know. Now, are the three different jobs, do, do they blend together or overlap today in some degree? Like a quarry man could be a cutter also now, could he? No. No. You see, a stone cutter is a distinct trade. A quarry man isn't. It's a skill. He's a skilled man, but it's not recognised as a trade. The man that blocks out the stone. You know? And how does the mason then, how is he recognised in, in, in the trade, the stone mason? Well, as I see, I've only two men now, you know, uh, and I'm just barely able to get sufficient work now to keep them going. So you, you think you've come on in hard times? Uh, yes, I'd say we have. Like, the whole trend has changed. It's not wanted in the, like, church work, school work, border work, work, nothing like that's wanted now, you know? 
So we rely on isolated orders to keep going. Do your orders come from large uh, business uh, corporations no. or, or individuals? Uh, they come from, uh, I supply some of the small builders, you might call them. You know, as I say, there's no big contracts to be handed out now, you know, except for uh, cladding, which I'm not geared to do. You know, it's uh, the people up the road that do that. But there are signs of renewed vigour in Barnacolla also. Eugene Rowe has opened a small workshop there, and across the road from Peter Walsh's quarry, Paddy Rowe and Phil O'Neill have reopened Cannon's quarry, which was once owned by Phil's great-grandfather. At the quarry site, they have set up their workshop, which of course includes working with granite, Phil O'Neill. They're doing at the moment, they're doing, starting, it's starting to come back in a bit in, in the churches for interior furnishing such as altars and ambos and stuff like that, you know. It has been used, uh, it was used in, in Dunleary Church now, for instance, you know. Uh, it was quite a big block of granite there. And where know. did that granite come from? It came from across the road just there in Peter Walsh's quarry. I see. You know. Now, what about uh, private use? Is there much use made of granite nowadays? Well, a lot of people are using it now in the front of their houses, you know, built like random rebel, you know, that type of thing, you know, where the, the private customer would, would buy it just in, in rough pieces and build it, you know, build it themselves. Now, looking you know. around your workshop here, I see a lot of other uh, stones and type. Could you tell me what other uh, type of stones you work with here? Yeah, we, we work quite a lot with Liscanner Slate. That's from the County Clare. We also work in Limestone. Uh, we've done a job there recently, Holy Cross Abbey. You know, that was done in uh, Limestone. And what know? particular area of the Abbey? Uh, we actually done the altar and the ambo and the chair. You know, the church furnishings for it. There were solid blocks of limestone. And where did that limestone come from? It came from Leash. Uh, from uh, McKeown's Leash. Strad Valley. I also see a lot of marble lying around. This is, uh, is it Irish or is it imported? Uh, well, the biggest part of our marble here, we imported, you know, because it's quite hard to get some of the Ori stuff, you know. We use some black, all right, Kilkenny black, and we try to use as much Ori stuff as we can get, but people go for different colours, you know. Could I just talk a little bit about yourself and your own background? Could you just talk about your own family background uh, to this craft and also you know, your own work, how you progressed up to your present stage? Yeah, well, when what really made me go to the stone cutting, I think, in the back of my mind, was I used to go off with my father and uh, on the Saturdays when I was only going to school and he used to work on Saturdays out on the hill. He'd find a, just a random piece of stone and he'd be doing maybe making a head block or something out of it. And I used to sit in the bushes and just watch the big muscles on his arms when he'd be swinging the hammer. And this is really what made me want to go to it, I think. So from there I served my time. I went to the tech and I served my time in relations of mine, you know. Around in, the area? Yeah, in Christopher O'Neill's. Which is down? In Ballyogan. Ballyogan, yeah, yes. He's me, he was my daddy's brother. I served my time there for seven years and then I got a bit restless and I started out on my own doing bits and pieces of carvings and different things. 
and then Paddy and myself teamed up together four years ago. And you haven't looked back? Well, we've been going along not too bad. Perhaps the most important work for the traditional stonecutter in recent years has been the restoration of the old Parliament buildings in College Green, now owned by the Bank of Ireland. Designed by Edward Lovett Pearce, the foundation stone was laid in 1728, almost 250 years ago. The restoration work now in progress entails not only cleaning, but also involves replacing some of the granite and also remoulding the Portland stone. The stone cut contractor is Jim Murphy. We quoted for that job and uh, we were lucky enough to get it. It's a very good contract, a very interesting contract. And um, the one particular thing that I like about it is that I believe we've only just got it in time from the bank's point of view. That uh, this particular stone cutters who are good at that type of work are, well, they're all in their 60s now. And if that type of job was left for another 10 or 20 years, the, the stone cutters just wouldn't be there who would know the particular handwork because the job itself was done well over 200 years ago, something like 250 years ago. And we are replacing those stones exactly the same way as they were done uh, 250 years ago. Now, just two points arising from that. One, does anybody know for sure, I've been asking this to a few people, where the original granite came from when, when the Bank of Ireland or the Parliament was built in the 18th century? Well, um, I, I can say with some certainty that I've traced stone from at least four quarries so uh, it proves that uh, what we're just after saying about farming out uh, the work to smaller men went on in those days as well um, I, I've seen stone from Dalky there and the, an awful lot from Ballynockan uh, from Wicklow in that area and an awful lot of course from Barnacullia and I'm sure some from the Glencullen area as well so uh, we find all different types of, of, of granite in the uh, in the job. How do you uh, distinguish one from the other? Well, I suppose it's uh, experience, number one, from, from uh, just knowing the stone. But uh, there is a characteristic in the granite from County Dublin, what we call a big scale, uh, a mica, they call it a scale. And it's like a diamond, and it's much bigger than, say, the scale in the... Uh, in the um, Ballynockan stone, the Wicklow granite, and then of course the Dalky granite is famous because it, it's so hard, they say it's as, it's as hard as iron, and we'd always know that when we'd come across it in any particular job. The granite is cut and dressed at the yard from where it is brought to the bank, where it is further trimmed and fixed into place. The stone cutters working at College Green come from Barnacolla and from another traditional granite area, Ballynockan in County Wicklow. They include Peter Kane, John Flanagan, Ned McCabe, George and Jimmy Flynn and Joe and Christy Brady. High up on the scaffolding, above the din of the passing traffic, they spoke about their work. Well, it's really rotten, like, really. It's really falling in pieces, like, real dust. There's only dust now instead of granite. There's a mark on this one. What, what does that That's mean? better known as the White Horse. Known in the granite, that's white horse we call that in the granite, that white mark. And what, what does that mean? Well, uh, it's not usually accepted. Face work on granite, you know. And is this a flaw in the, in the stone? No, it's not a flaw, no, it's not a flaw. It's, it just grows in the stone, and really, as a matter of fact, it's the strongest part of the stone. 
but why isn't it acceptable then? Well, no, your grand is just the same colour and this shows out whiter, you know? So that will be, uh, that will be changed? Yeah, it'll be changed. This area here now, is, is, will you just tell me about it? No, well, it was all very bad, all very rotten. We had to renew all that, the whole way, from one end really to the other, and we'll have to be done. So you have to replace that with new uh, All blocks. new stuff. Yeah. Now, wh wh why is that so bad compared to the other? That must be old age. Like the stones were set dry, one on top of the other. No joint between them at all, too tight. Then when the bottom ones got loose, the whole lot come. And also they have worn a bit. Oh, they're worn very badly. Yeah. Some of them are very bad. I don't know where the next stone cutters are going to come from to do it. You think they won't be around? Yeah, so there's no young fellas going to the trade, so that does it. And the machine can do this type of work, obviously. Oh, by no means. No, they can't finish no stone either. It has to be finished by hand. No matter how good the machine is. That's what stone cutting is all about. That's the very thing. It takes the man to finish it. No matter how he, matter what machine then went. Perhaps it is fitting to add that the new head for Hibernia, the central statue and the south pediment, is being made by Paddy Rowe. Paddy, who teaches stone carving in the National College of Art, is the son of Mick Rowe, and comes from a long line of Barnacullis stonecutters. But as the last of the stonecutters work on in College Green, is there any way of saving the trade? A last word from Paddy Rowe and Jim Murphy. It doesn't take an awful lot of stonework in the country to, to keep these men going because there's so few of us left. But uh, if there was 1% of stone used in every large building, it would keep the whole thing going. And uh, like the machinery we have nowadays, adds to the speed that we can get it out and that type of thing. I think there's a good hope for the stone trade in that regard. I've always believed that the stone cutters should be uh, in a sort of a craft trade, that they should command a better wage and not be tied to the, uh, to the trades as such, that they should be nearly in a craft trade. If we could do that and get it more, the young fellas from coming from technical school and that, um, if we could get more of those interested, I'm sure we would. But the one thing against it, I believe, the big thing against it is serving your time. And I'm sure most of the trades have been hit by that. But young lads today, they just don't want to serve their time to any particular trade. And the stone cutting, being a tough old job, is hardest hit of all. There's a, there's a grave danger. There's a grave danger of, uh, I feel anyway, I, I may be wrong, but I, th I think there's a grave danger of losing the craft altogether. If we don't have people who have a feeling for the, the craft or a feeling for... Uh, the finished article, we're bound to we're bound to, to lose out on it. We're bound to lose the skills that people had because this was something that was passed down from uh, generation to generation. And if you haven't got the people involved in it, well then how can you pass it on?